Chapter 3 A Singular But Needful Question Dost Thou Desire to Be Made Whole? John 5, 6 Jesus spoke to the man who had been afflicted for thirty-eight years, and asked him, Dost Thou Desire to Be Made Whole? It seems to be a very strange question to ask. Who would not desire to be made whole? Would the poor man have been lying at the pool in the first place if he wasn't anxious to be healed? The answer to Jesus' question must have been written all over his face as he gazed up at the Saviour. However, since our Lord didn't use confusing language, it could be reasoned that the paralysis of the man's body had to a certain degree numbed his mind and brought on a paralysis of his will. He had hoped until his heart was sick. He had waited until despair had dried up his spirit. It had almost come to the point that he barely cared whether he was made whole or not. The bow had been bent so long that all its elasticity was destroyed. He had hungered until his appetite itself was gone. He was now consumed by hopelessness for the future because of all of his many disappointments. The Saviour touched a chord which needed to vibrate when he asked about his desire, his will. That question aroused something within the man which was essential to a cure. Dost thou desire to be made whole? This was the inquiry of a profound investigation, the scientific probe of a great physician, the resurrection from the grave of a great master power of manhood. Now, in the matter of preaching the gospel today, it may seem almost like a disrespectful question for me to ask those of you who are not saved, Dost thou desire to be made whole? Sure, you will reply, everyone desires salvation. Believe me, I am not quite as certain as you are about the truth of that statement. But our being here, says one, our having been here so long, and our attentive listening to the gospel prove that we are willing to be made whole if we could only discover where that health is found and what the balm of Gilead actually is. Yet I am not surprised that there are many who have waited so long that they are beginning to be paralyzed in the very desires that they once held so dear. Others who have been here a long time without conviction now occupy these pews as a mere matter of custom and have no desire for the wholeness of soul which the great physician is always prepared to give to those who seek his help. I am persuaded that instead of the question being an unnecessary one, it should be one of the first presented to every hearer. To get a truthful answer to this question from the innermost soul of every hearer is my objective now. I believe it will be a very healthy thing for you even if you are honestly compelled to give a negative answer. It will at least expose the condition of your heart to itself, and that may lead to something better. As God helps me, I will do my best to lay before you this question. Unsaved man or woman, dost thou desire to be made whole? It's important to ask this question first because it's a question that is not always understood. It's not the same as the question, Do you desire to be saved from going to hell? Everyone answers, Yes. Do you desire to be saved so you will go to heaven? At once, without even thinking, everyone says, Yes. We all have a strong desire for the harps of gold, for the songs of blessedness, and for the eternity of immortality. But that is not the question. Heaven and its joys come out of what is proposed in our question as a result, as a consequence, but that's not the matter at hand right now. 
We are not saying to the thief, Will you have your imprisonment ended? We are asking him an entirely different question. Are you willing to be made an honest man? We are not asking the murderer, Would you like to escape the gallows? We know his reply. The question we are asking is, Do you desire to be made righteous, upright, kind, forgiving, so that you give up all this evil of yours? It's not, Are you willing to sit at the festival of mercy and eat and drink like those who are in health? But, Are you yourself willing to be made spiritually healthy and to pass through the divine process by which the foul disease of sin can be cast out and the healthiness of sanctified manhood can be restored to you? To help you to understand what that question means, let me remind you that there were only ever two men who were whole, perfectly whole. They can be called the two Adams, the first and the second Adam. These both showed us what a man would be if he were whole. The first Adam dwelled in the garden. We should all be willing to be in paradise with him. We should all be delighted to walk beneath those never-withering boughs and gather ever-luscious fruits without toil, without suffering, without disease, and without death. We all should be glad enough to welcome the return of the ancient gladness of Eden. But that is not the question. It is, are we willing to be made mentally and morally into what Adam was before his sin brought disease into mankind? And what was Adam? He was a man who knew his God. He also knew many other things, but mainly and chiefly he knew his God. His delight was to walk with God, to commune with Him, and to speak with Him as a man speaks with his friend. Until he fell, his will remained in submission to the will of his Creator. He desired to obey the Lord in all things. He was placed in the garden to till the ground, to keep and care for the garden, and he did it all with joy. He was a whole, flawless man. The entirety of his enjoyment consisted in his God. It was his one purpose as a living creature to do the will of him that made him. He knew nothing of rioting and drunkenness. For him there were no crude songs or extravagant deeds. The flash of immorality and the glitter of overindulgence was far from him. He was pure, upright, chaste, and obedient. How would you like to be made like him, sinner? You who are pursuing your own will, you who have sought out many fantasies, you who find happiness in sin and filthiness, would you be willing to come back and find your happiness in God and from that moment serve him alone? Perhaps you say blindly, yes. It's possible that you don't know what you're saying. If the truth were more clearly presented to you, you would stubbornly refuse to be made whole. Life under those circumstances would seem tame, joyless, and slavish to you. Without the fire of lust, the excitement of drink, the laughter of foolishness, and the fake face of pride, what would existence be to many? To them our concept of flawless manhood is only another name for bondage and misery. Take the other example of a man who was whole. It was Jesus, the second Adam. He dwelled here among the sons of men not in a paradise, but in the midst of disgrace, temptation, and suffering. Yet he was a whole, flawless man. He took sicknesses upon himself as if they were his own. Our sins were placed on him as our substitute, but in him was no sin. The prince of this world searched him through and through, but could find no sin in him.
The perfection of our Saviour's existence in the form of a man was made clear in that He was holy, innocent, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Scripture, For it was expedient that we have such a high priest, who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Hebrews 7.26 He was holy. That word is, in its root, the same thing as whole. He was a complete, perfect, uninjured, untainted man. He was whole towards his God. It was his meat and drink to do the will of God who sent him. Jesus, in the form of man, was man just as God desired man to be. He remained just as he came from the Maker's hand, without blot, without loss, without a hint of evil, and without the absence of any good thing. He was whole and holy. For that reason, he was innocent and never inflicted harm on others in word or deed. He remained undefiled, never affected by the influences that surrounded him in a way that caused him to become false to his God or unkind to man. Even though blasphemy passed by his ear, it never polluted his heart. He saw the lust and wickedness of man carried to its climax, but he himself shook off the viper into the fire and remained blameless. He was also separate from sinners. He did not align himself with the Pharisees and say, Stay back because I am holier than you. He ate with them and still stayed separate from them. He was never more separate than when his compassionate hand touched them, or when he entered most deeply into sympathy with them in their sorrows. He was separate by his own mental perfection, moral superiority, and spiritual grandeur. Do you wish to be like Jesus? There's the question. If you did, it would involve you in much of his experience. You would be laughed at, scoffed, persecuted, and, unless God restrained your enemies, you might also be put to death. Are you willing to be made like him, to have the evil which you now admire torn away from you, and to have implanted in you the good which you don't appreciate at the moment? Now would you be willing to be made whole? You might say, I want to be like Jesus. I truly desire it. However, if you allow me to gently and affectionately whisper in your ear that if you knew what I meant, if you knew what Jesus was, I am not so sure that you would be so inclined. I am afraid that struggles and rebellion would rise up in your heart if you proceeded in the direction of making yourself whole as Jesus Christ was whole. Allow me to further illustrate the meaning of the question, Dost thou desire to be made whole? When a man is whole, complete, and what a man should be, there are certain evil inclinations which are done away with, and certain moral qualities which he is sure to possess. For instance, if a man is made whole before God, he is also made honest before men. No man can be whole while he is still guilty of wrongdoing in his business in his thinking, in his conversation, or in his actions towards his neighbors. Sinner, many of your business practices would not stand the tests of God's all-searching eye. You often say in your dealings things that are not true. You dismiss them with the excuse that others do the same. I am not here to listen to your excuses, but I am about to ask you in all seriousness, dost thou desire to be made whole? Do you desire to be made, from this point forward, a devoted and honest man?
No more lying, exaggerations, overreaching, and taking advantage? So, what do you think? There are some who could no longer carry on their business. The trade is rotten, and if you don't fall into its practices, you cannot make a living. The district is a rough place, and no one can thrive in it but cheats. We would have to shut up the shop if we were perfectly honest. Why, cries one, I would be eaten alive by the competition. I can't believe that we must be so extremely honest. I see how it is. You do not want to be made whole. He who is completely whole becomes restrained in all matters. Scripture? Not that which goes into the mouth defiles the man, but that which comes out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Matthew fifteen eleven, And? For the kingdom of God is not food and drink. Yet men still frequently sin in both food and drink, and especially in the sin of drunkenness. Romans 14, 17. Now I suppose it would be difficult to find a drunkard who, when he is sober, does not desire to be saved. But, drunkard, understand the question. It is not, do you desire to go to heaven? It is this, would you give up your drunkenness and no longer delight yourself in those cups of excess? Now what do you say? From this moment, are you willing to be done with all your disorder and immorality and throw them all away? Perhaps in the morning some might say yes, when their eyes are red and they are experiencing the consequences of excess. But how about in the evening, when the throng of immoral behavior surrounds the man, and the wine sparkles in the cup? Would he be made whole then, and renounce those things which ruin his body and soul? No. Many say, I would be made whole, but they don't mean it. Scripture? But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog returns unto his own vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Second Peter 2.22 To be made whole produces universal truthfulness in the man. Now, there are people who cannot stand to speak the truth. To them, two must always be twenty. In their eyes, the faults of any neighbor are crimes and the noble virtues of any, except their favorites, are always tinged with vice. Naturally, they stir up malicious judgment towards others, and they are envious of anything honorable in their fellow man. Now, what do you say, sir? Are you willing to be made whole, and from this hour speak nothing but the truth towards God and man? I am afraid many who don't lack for words now would have very little to say if they spoke nothing but the truth. And many men would, if they were honest enough to say it, refuse the blessing of being made perfectly truthful. When it comes to the matter of forgiveness, a man who is made whole can forgive even to seventy times seven. When you cannot forgive a wrong suffered, it is because your soul is sick. When a wrong is resented strongly, you are ill for the moment. When it is resented constantly, you suffer from a chronic disease. Some people are so far from wishing to know how to forgive that they would almost pray that they might live and die to fulfill their passion for revenge. They would follow the man who has done them a wrong through this world and the other two. They would be damned with him if they could only have the satisfaction of seeing him surrounded by the flames. Revenge is sweet to many men, and it's useless for a man to say, I would be made whole, while he still cultivates hate 
and carries resentment towards his fellow man. In this same way, I could present each of the virtues and vices and show that my text is not quite as simple a question as some people think. Some men are afflicted with a miserly, grasping disposition. If they were whole, they would be generous, kind to the poor, and they would be ready to give from their abundance to the Lord's work. But would they choose to be made whole? No. They think generosity is weakness and compassion is foolishness. What's the good of having money and giving it away? They say, What's the good of getting it if you're not going to keep it? Truly, it's a wise man who can hold the most and part with as little of it as possible. This man does not want to be made whole. He considers his paralyzed hand and ossified heart to be the very evidence of health. He considers himself to be the only mentally healthy man around, even though his narrow mindedness and withering soul are visible to all. He is a skeleton and the picture of sickness, and yet he believes himself to be the outstanding example of health. Those who admire their failings clearly have no desire to be free from them. What a beautiful cataract I have in my eye, says one. What a precious oozing sore decorates my arm, says another. What a delightful bow this is in my leg, says a third. What an attractive hump adorns my back, says another. Men do not speak this way concerning their bodily diseases, or we would think they were crazy. But they often glory in their shame and rejoice in their iniquities. Whenever you meet a man who has a fault which he mentally elevates into a virtue, you have a man who would not wish to be made whole, and who would ignore a physician's visit if he waited at his door. These people are more common than we would think. If a man is made whole, not only moral virtues will abound in him, but also spiritual graces. A man who is whole is fit in spirit as well as in outward character. So what would happen to a man if he were made whole in his spirit? Scripture Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast two meals every Sabbath, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, reconcile me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For any one that exalts himself shall be humbled and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Luke 18, 10-14 You see, that Pharisee there is thanking God that he is as good as he should be, and a great deal better than most people. Now, if that man is ever made whole, he will say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But if I were to ask him if he would like to change places with the publican, he would reply, Why should I? He's a vulgar and wicked wretch. The language he uses is very appropriate to him, and I am glad he uses it. It would be wrong for me to make the same confession as he does, and I do not intend to do it. That man does not want to be made whole, because he thinks he is whole already. He who is made whole becomes a self-renouncing man. Paul was whole when he said, And doubtless I even count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Philippians 3, 8-9 He counted his own righteousness to be dung, so he might win Christ and be found in Him. He was a whole man. Sickly men think their own righteousness is good enough, wrap themselves in it, decorate it with the outward appearance of ceremony, and then conclude that they are right enough for heaven. They are so consumed by pride that they rave about their imagined goodness, while they call real goodness hypocrisy. He who is whole spiritually is a man of habitual prayer. He feels constant gratitude and exhibits continual praise. He is a man of abiding devotion. Whatever he does, he does it unto God and seeks only God's glory in it. His mind is fixed on things unseen and eternal. His heart is not enslaved by the things that are seen, because he knows that they are unfruitful. Now, if we appealed to many, and they fully understood what we meant by it, and said, Would you be made whole? Would you from this hour become a prayerful man, a man full of praise, a holy man, a God-serving man? I believe that the majority, even of our congregations, if they spoke honestly, would say, No, we do not want to be made whole. We would like to go to heaven, but we don't want this. We desire to escape from hell, but we don't have any desire to practice all this puritanical precision which you call holiness. No, we would like to enjoy ourselves with sinners first, and go to heaven with the saints last. The poison is too sweet to give up right now, but we will take the antidote in the end. We will take breakfast with the devil and supper with Christ. We're in no hurry to be made pure. Our tastes are leading us in another direction for now. Many replies. Now that I've explained the question, I will point out that this question can produce many different replies. Because of this, it's even more necessary for it to be asked and answered. First, there are some whose reply to this question can be called no answer at all. They don't want to hear or consider anything of the sort. Dost thou desire to be made whole? Well, we don't know what to say. We don't even want to be bothered with it. We're young, and there's plenty of time for us to think about these things later. We're business people, and we have more important things to do besides worry our minds about religion. We have money. We can't possibly be expected to look at these things the same way as poor and ignorant people are required to. Or, we have a lot of health issues, and just taking care of ourselves takes up too much time to allow us to be concerned about theological difficulties. People will come up with any excuse to put from their mind the one thing that is necessary. The unencumbered soul is most precious and least valued. Oh, how some of you play games with your souls and toy with your immortal interests! For a time I did the same thing. If tears of blood could express my regret, I would attempt to weep them. The time wasted through a long carelessness about our soul's interests is something very serious. It's a loss of time which even mercy cannot restore to us and even the grace of God cannot give back. Young people, I wish that these were the things on your minds. 
I cannot even express to you how much I desire for these questions to be important, even pressingly, overwhelmingly important to you, so that you can't ignore the pressure on your spirit from the Holy Spirit who wants to awaken you. I desire for God to make you wise enough to desire the magnificent development of spiritual life and the destruction of everything detrimental to your best welfare. Consider carefully this first and most important question. Don't give it the go-by. Your dying hour may be much nearer than you think. The tomorrow in which you plan to consider these things may never arrive. Let me put it another way. If you are going to put off anything, let it be something that can safely wait. If anything is to be postponed, don't let it be an eternal thing, a spiritual thing. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Matthew 6, 33 There are some people who have invested a great deal of energy in religious activity, and still their answer to this question is not a very sincere one. Years ago they were aroused. When they heard a sermon, they treasured every word. They persisted in prayer, and their desires were full of enthusiasm. But they have never obeyed the command which says, Believe in Christ and live. Misery and unbelief has become a habit to them. They have become accustomed to continuing under the burden of sin which they will persist in carrying when there is a dear Saviour waiting to relieve them of the burden. And their answer to the question is neither one thing nor the other. They groan out feebly, I wish that I wished. I want to desire, but my heart is hard. If aught is felt, tis only pain, to find I cannot feel. See to what a state you've brought yourself. May God help you to make a desperate effort with that will of yours. May the moving of His Spirit bless this word so full of love to your heart. I pray that you may say, Yes, out of my deep despair, out of the pit where there is no water, I still cry to you, my God. I desire deliverance out of the belly of hell. I will, I will, I desire to be saved. Oh, give me grace so I may be made whole. May none of you continue to be numbered with those who virtually give no answer to the question. Secondly, there are too many who give very evasive replies to the question. I must ask them the same question. Dost thou desire to be made whole? I am anxious to present this question to every unconverted one, but I am sure that from several I will get no distinct reply. I will hear one say, How am I supposed to know if I am God's elect or not? That is not the question. That question cannot be answered at this stage, but it will be answered. So why do you need to bring up that subject, except to distract yourself from the serious question the text raises? Will you or will you not be made whole? Come on, don't shirk the question. Face it like a man. Are you willing to be reconciled to God and be obedient to Him or not? Say yes or no, and speak up. If you desire to be God's enemy and to love sin and unrighteousness, just say so. Be honest with yourself and see yourself in the light of truth. But if you desire to be purified from sin and be made holy, say so. It's not something to boast in. Well, says another, I don't have the power to stop sinning. Again, I say, that is not the question. A distinction must be drawn between the will and the power. 
God will give the power, rest assured, in the same proportion as He gives the will. It's because our will is not there that the power is not there. When a weak will comes, a small amount of power comes. But when the will becomes intense, then the power becomes intense too. They rise and fall together. But that is not the question. I don't say, What can you do? but What do you desire to be? Do you desire to be holy? Are you honestly anxious to be set free from the power of sin? There's the question, and I pray for your soul's sake that you look into your heart and answer this question like you're standing before God. But I've been so guilty in the past, says one, that my former sins alarm me. Even though I'm glad you have a sense of your sin, I'll remind you that this is not the question. It's not how sick you are, but are you willing to be made whole? I know you're a sinner, and a much worse one than you think yourself to be. However black your sin is to your own eye, it's ten times blacker to God's eye, and you are an utterly condemned and lost sinner by nature. But the question now is, dost thou desire to be made whole? It's not, do you desire to have your past forgiven and be delivered from the penalty of it? Of course you do. But do you desire to be set free from the lusts that have been your delight, from the sins that have been your treasure? Do you desire to be delivered from the wants of your flesh and of your mind, the things your heart hungers after? Do you desire to be made like the saints are and like God is, holy and set free from sin? Is that the yearning of your spirit, or isn't it? Now I'll move on to the many people who say no to this. They do not evade the question, but they honestly say no. Actually, I must retract that statement. I question whether they honestly say no. However, they say no by their actions. I desire to be made whole, says one, but when the church service is over, he goes back to his sin. A man says he desires to be cured of his disease, but he continues to indulge in the very thing which gave him the disease. Is he untruthful or insane? The eating of a certain meat may be the cause of the disease, the doctor tells the patient. The patient says he desires to be healed, but then immediately eats the very dish that caused his sickness. He is a liar, is he not? And he who says he desires to be made whole and yet lingers in his old sin, doesn't he lie to himself and to his God? When a man desires to be made whole, he frequents the places where healing is given. There are some who barely ever visit the house of God, who go once in a while on Sunday to hear the gospel, or who attend places because they are called places of worship. Here the gospel is not preached, the conscience is never broken, and the demands of God's law and the promises of God's gospel are never fully insisted on. Still, they are quite content to go there and think they have done well, like a sick man who does not go to the physician who understands the case but visits a quack's shop where there is a profession of curing, even though no one was ever cured. Such a person does not desire to be made whole. He wouldn't act like this if he did. Again, how many hear the gospel but don't really listen? A bit of news on the exchange, and they read it with both of their eyes. Will there be a rise or fall of stocks? An article from which they can judge the general current of trade, they devour it with their minds, suck in the meaning, and then go and practice what they've gathered from it. They hear a sermon, 
and the minister is judged on how he preached it. They are as critical as a man reading a book who says the capital letter was not well inked on the press, or the dot to the eye had dropped off the letter. Like a man reading a business article who criticizes the style of the article instead of trying to get at its meaning and act upon its advice. Men will think it to be the height of perfection to say they liked or disapproved of a sermon. As if the God sent preacher cared one bit whether you did or did not like his sermon. His business is not to please your tastes, but to save your souls. It's not to win your admiration, but to win your hearts for Jesus and bring you to be reconciled to God. Whether a sermon is liked should hardly be considered in the question. Similarly, a surgeon's scalpel is seldom admired by his patient. The surgeon who conscientiously removes the proud flesh or prevents a wound from healing too rapidly cannot expect admiration for his use of the knife while the sufferer still feels it. Nor does the preacher, when he faithfully declares the truth, expect the praise of men. If their actions endorse his words, it is enough. My hearers, you give us lukewarm and critical hearing, anything but practical hearing. All this goes to prove that after all, even though you crowd our houses of prayer, you do not want to be made whole. Too many pick up the gospel like a man who likes to read might pick up a surgical manual to amuse himself with the pictures, but not to find out what will remove his own sickness. You do the same thing with the Bible. You read it as a sacred volume, but see no application to your own life. How little you understand of the deep heart longing to find Jesus, to be reconciled to God, and to be delivered from the wrath to come. There are men who both by their non-hearing and their hearing say, We do not want to be made whole. There are also many who don't desire to be made whole, because being made whole would involve their losing their present position in society. They do not want to part with their ungodly gains or wicked companions. Religion would involve them in some degree of persecution. They would not like to be sneered at as a Methodist or Presbyterian. They could not afford to go to heaven if the road was a little rough. Instead, they would prefer to go to hell as long as the road which leads there is smooth and pleasant. They would rather be praised by fools than be saved and suffer the disrespect of the wicked. They think it's inconvenient to be kind, annoying to be godly, shameful to be devoted, and foolish to believe in right and wrong. They would prefer to have the crown without the fight and the reward without the service. They would enjoy the benefits of a healthy soul, but do not want to lose the advantages of associating with the leprous and defiled. Poor fools! Thank God there are some who say, Yes, I desire to be made whole. Whenever a positive answer is given to this question, we can be sure that a work of grace has begun in the soul. If anyone can earnestly say, Yes, the desire of my heart is to be set free from sin, then, my dear friend, I am happy and feel privileged to speak to you. If you say, My motivation is not fear of punishment, sin is punishment enough for me. If I could be in heaven and remain the sinner I am, it would not be heaven to me. I want to be freed from every fault of thought, word, and deed, and if I could be perfect, I would be perfectly happy, even if I were sick and poor. 
If the Lord has made you long after holiness, there is in your heart already the embryo of grace, the seed of everlasting life. Before long you will rejoice that you are born again and are passed from death unto life. Oh, you say, I wish I could see that, I wish I could feel it. I don't believe that any person devoid of grace could ever have hearty, earnest, intense longings after holiness for its own sake. Now, if you desire to get the joy and peace that comes from that grace, I have to say to you the same thing Jesus said to the poor man at Bethesda. He said, Take up thy bed and walk. Hear the word of the Lord and trust right now in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was punished as a substitute for your guilt. Rely on him, and you will be a saved soul. Do I have the power to believe in Christ? says one. I answer, Yes, you have the power. I would not say to every man, You have the power to exercise faith, because the desire of the will is the death of moral power. But if you are willing, you have the right, you have the privilege, and you have the power to believe that Jesus died for you. You have the power to believe that God, who has made you to long after holiness, has prepared holiness for you. And the instrument that will work it in you is your faith. Scripture, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Look to Christ and be saved. I pray that some of you may come to perfect peace right now by looking to Christ. I want holiness, you say. Yes, and it may seem a strange thing, but it's true that while you seek holiness in yourself, you will never have it. But if you look away from yourself to Christ, then holiness will come to you. Even that very desire of yours has come to you from Him. It's the beginning of the new birth in your soul. Look away from even your best desires to Christ on the cross, and this day shall be the day of your salvation. It may seem a very little thing to have a desire, but the type of desire I have described is no little thing. It is more than human nature ever produced by itself, and only God the Eternal Spirit can implant it. I am convinced that a living, saving faith always goes with it. Sooner or later it comes to the surface and brings joy and peace with it. Finally, when this question is answered in the negative, it involves a most fearful sin. I wish I did not have to teach on this last point but I must, as painful as it is. There are some who are not willing to be made whole. You, my unconverted brethren, are unwilling. Face that now, because you will have to face it soon. It's just this. You prefer yourself to God. You prefer to please yourself before pleasing Him, and you prefer sin to holiness. Look at it closely and fairly. Sin is your own deliberate choice. You're making it now. You've made it before, and, I fear, will continue to make it if God's grace does not prevent you. Look it in the face, because soon, on your deathbed, you will see the whole matter in the light of eternity. Then you will discover that you preferred the pleasures of this life to heaven. You preferred the parties, amusement, self-righteousness, pride, and self-will of a few fleeting years over the glory and bliss of perfectly obeying Christ and being in His presence forever. 
when it's time to die, and certainly when you live in another state, you will curse yourself for having made such a choice as this. When you lie dying and unsaved, you will remember, I am not here an unsaved man unwillingly. I refused to be made whole. I chose not to be a believer. I chose to be unrepentant. I heard the gospel. It was presented clearly to me, and I deliberately chose to ignore it and remain what I am. Now I am dying unforgiven and unholy, and that was my choice. No spiritually unsound man can enter heaven. He must be made whole or be shut out of glory. We cannot stand in the most holy place until we are made perfect. So you, unhealed soul, remaining as you are, will never stand in God's presence. You choose, you deliberately choose, never to be admitted to the courts of paradise. Furthermore, and this will strike you in a short time, how short I don't know, nor do you, there will be no entrance into heaven for you, because you elected not to enter heaven. There will remain only one other thing. You will be driven from his presence into the eternal burnings of his wrath. It will surely be one of the stings of hell that you perish of your own free will. How you will cry, I chose this, I chose this, I was a fool, I chose this. For what is hell? It is sin full blown. Sin is evil in the conception, hell is sin fully developed. What will you think about in hell? I chose misery from which there never can be any escape, and a death out of which there can be no deliverance. I must die to God, to holiness, to happiness, and exist forever in everlasting death and eternal punishment, and all as the result of my own free will. Please look that in the face, I beg you. It seems to me to be the most dreadful element about the entire case of the lost sinner. When cast into hell, if they could say, I am here because of God's decree and for no other reason, then they could find something with which to harden their spirit and endure the misery of their lost condition. But if they are forced to feel that their ruin is their own doing, and that they perish for their own sin and their personal rejection of Christ, then it is hell indeed. Those flames, are they of my own kindling? This prison house, is it my own building? That door locked so tightly to never open, is it my own barring? With this, the last remnant of consolation is taken away from their soul forever. I hope you say, I do desire to be made whole. Let me remind you again that the place to find the fulfillment of that desire is at the foot of the cross. Stand there and hope in the great Redeemer. There is some life in you already, and the dying Saviour will increase it. Stand at the foot of the cross where the precious drops of blood fall. See the flowing of His soul-redeeming blood. Believe that He shed that blood for you, and you are saved. To those who desire to be made whole, Jesus says, I will. Be thou clean. Matthew 8, 3